Hallå så välkommen till Lisa plus Vina Alexant, en podcast om naturlig vin och människan bak. Är till Lisa Anes. Kära lytter Alice plus Vina Alexant. Nu sker det. Jag skrev en bok och den heter Naturvin. Måndag 9 oktober blir det lanseringsfest vin och boksignering på Bekko i Oslo. Hvis du liker podden, tror jag du kanske kommer till att lika boka och det hade varit sjukt trevligt att se dig på lanseringen. Hvis du inte bor i Oslo kan det hända att jag kommer till dig i löpet av hösten. Jag kommer nämligen till Bergen, Stavanger, Kristiansand och Tromsø på en liten bokturné i höst. Check Instagramen min för mer info om när och hur. Kanske vi ses. Boka kan förhandsbeställas på Nolis sin nettsida. Följ länken i show notes. Uansett, tusen tack nog en gång för att du hörer på. Här är Mons episode. Can you tell me um, what you had for breakfast this morning? I had for breakfast this morning a slice of bread with butter and salt on it. Butter and salt. Couldn't find anything else in this fridge, so <laughs> I just put some butter on it, and I think salted butter is very nice. True, I agree. Yeah, oh, easy and simple breakfast. Exactly. Delicious. Uh, I just hit record. We are not recording at home this episode because, well, I'm just gonna say it again. My studio burnt down. What? What? Well, it didn't burn down, but it sounds so cool when I say it. It was damaged by a huge fire in Oslo city center in Lillegrensen. Some people might have read about it on the news. That fire, yes. Um, so now, on very short notice, we are here at Jenklang in the middle of Oslo. And thank you, Jenklang, for finding us a studio uh, af- four hours after I called you. Yay! 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 Whoop! And the other person is, of course, or not of course, but you will find out very soon who she is. It is the amazing Jess Swan. Woo! Thank you. <laughs> Jess, my bread and butter eating friend, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Jess or Jasmine, if you want to go proper. <laughs> um, I'm a winemaker in Rheinhessen, where I'm based now. I was based for three years in Mosul. And yeah, I make wine. I buy grapes and turn them into wine. Yes. Like that. Delicious wine. Thank you. And uh, a lot of people wonder, where are you from? Really? (laughs) Because people think you're Icelandic. Some people think you're from Steigen in Norway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am from the beautiful horrid town of Mönchengladbach mm. in Germany. It's and a blank face over here. Give me more. Where? Is it somewhere close to Berlin? Because if not, I don't know. No, it no. no. It's close to Düsseldorf in Cologne, near the Dutch border. Uh, it's a city uh, known for football and Formula One drivers mm. to report. And that's really the most interesting fact about it. I really don't like my hometown. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You know, people can move. And that's what I did. Yes, and that's what you have been doing because I think a lot of people maybe think you're Icelandic because of your winery. Its name is Katla Wines. Mm -hmm. And you have also worked in Reykjavik for some time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I worked at a restaurant called Dill for just over two years. 
and really fell in love with Iceland. So that was um, kind of the reason why I also thought Katla would be a good name. Mm. People seem to think in Norway a lot it's named after the dragon. Um, that is not the case. No. It's, uh, yeah, a volcano in Iceland. Uh, and it's also quite a common girl's name there. And uh, I googled the name one time and an American baby name site said it also means pure in Greek. I haven't found a Greek person to verify this so far, <laughs> and I've asked a few. Just keep saying it because it sounds good. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, stop It's caring. also a restaurant in Oslo, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you visited. So maybe people are I've like, oh. I've not been yet. Did you name it after a restaurant in Oslo? Me. Nah. Nah. It's a good restaurant. Yeah, I've heard a lot about it. Mm. Atli, I think, is the owner. He is. Yeah. And side note, Atli just started a cafe on an island in the fjord. Nice. Which and island? And bought himself a boat. Or he was at least attending, intending to. At Hovedøya. Okay. It's like a short boat ride. And there's a cafe, which they usually are cafes on these islands, but they're usually shitty. <laughs> and this one is, there's nice wine and there's nice food. Oh, awesome. Mm. Is it like a seasonal thing? Yeah, summer. Nice. It's called Klostrenga Cafe for anybody who's listening and want to check it out. Five minutes from Oslo. And you can have like decent wine and really good tuna sandwiches and like nice sausages to give to your kids without feeling bad for the fact that you're giving your kids sausages because they're just good stuff, you know? Yeah. Do you have to feel bad to give kids sausages? If it's like really cheap and horrible stuff, oh, yeah, I kind okay. of feel bad. My son loves it, but it's still like... Uh, it's mostly, you know, additives and salt. Yeah, that's true. Not exactly from Happy Pigs. Mm. Mm. Well, you mean the meat industry is bad? Well, well, <laughs> let's change the subject. Okay. <laughs> we have some wine. Let's just open the wine. Shall we open the wine? Yeah, let's You've do it. You've got a tasting to do. You can't arrive sober. Yeah, exactly. Also, somewhere in the world, it's uh, four o'clock. It is actually almost four o'clock in an so, hour. I mean, yeah. come on. Um, tell me about the wine we'll be having. And for those who are listening, no, uh, the wines are not available at Wine Monopoly, sadly. Sorry. But you can drink them in bars and restaurants across the country. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to open more. Uh, more is my first attempt of making uh, proper red wine. I have so far made a lot of things that look like red wine, but they're usually punched in with a little bit of white grapes at some point. Uh, and this is just 100% Merlot. It's a little bit my homage to what I always feel like is my wine home, and that's Ardèche mm. uh, in southern France. And three weeks macerated Merlot. Don't know what you call that type of maceration. It's just got a whole lot of foot stomping involved in it without being carbonic. It's a mishmash, stompy maceration. Oh, you got some cork in it. Or I got some cork in it. We got some cork in it. Oh. But we shall live. Yeah, it's fine. I don't have access to a spoon, so. Or a sieve. Cheers. Oh, the cork really went in there. I know. Sorry. Let's go. Mmm. Perfect um, wine for the storm that we're having today. Hey, actually, I thought about that. How I was exciting. Like, uh, I think a red wine is a nice uh, nice occasion for this. Mm. How is it? Can you, are you able to taste anything after your spicy chicken and coffee combo earlier mm. today and cigarettes? 
Yeah, I think I can still taste. You know, I'm a professional. I can just power through. And, <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness I've tasted this one before. So, um, oh, oh, really? yeah, I mean, like, it's, uh, Ooh, it's, it's like walking through the forest a little bit. Mm. Uh, it's a little bit leathery. Uh, I think we have a lot of, like, dark berry notes, quite obviously. Um, but it's so approachable, though. I think so. It's too. like a velvety little hug, and it's definitely like a rainy day wine. But but then again, you could have it in a more summery occasion with a barbecue. We've drunk it chilled as well. Mm-hmm. I don't I think imagine. it's intended to be really a chilled wine, but you know, she's flexible. Yeah. Um, but like, I like to spend sometimes my winter evenings with a good vinyl on the record, mm. uh, on the sofa, maybe a book. And then this kind of red wine. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a cozy hug. And it's got really lovely tannins in the front, I think. Mm. Really elegant. Not I always overpowering, just like sturdy and there, you know. Yeah, and I always have to watch that I don't have two tannic wines that need too much aging because I need I have a fairly new winery. I started in 2019. Mm-hmm. And cash flow is like a constant thing I have to consider. Also, when I make the wines, it's very Mm -hmm. unromantic, but it's just the reality. So I can't make wines that I have to age for three, four, five years. So I always like want to make compact wines that are able to be drunk in a sort of one year time frame. Mm. Kind of what has to, everything has to be sold so I can make a new vintage. So tell me about your winemaking journey, or where where does it all start? You were born in a shitty town with lots of Formula One drivers. Yeah, pretty much. My I didn't grow up with any wine. I, sorry. <laughs> um, I come from a family that has nothing to do with wine at all. Um, it is. Um, I didn't. Yeah, I used to drink a lot of shit beer and smell of ice when I was a, when I was younger, and then I moved to the UK, and in Scotland, uh, where I was living for six years, I started working in restaurants, first as a receptionist, and uh, got friends with a sommelier. Why did you go to Scotland? Oh, I was like, I was married for a little time and I was married to a Scottish person, ah. and at the time we thought it was we met in London. We thought it's easier to like move to Edinburgh. Why did you go to London? <laughs> ah, because Back I was track. living in Berlin and I had an awful <laughs> relationship that I ran away from. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, like really healthy kind of environment. Mm. So my friend had a room in London available and I just took it and two days later moved to London. And then you met your future person. Ex husband. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much. He was my flatmate. Mm. So it was, uh, no, it was a good good time like it was a nice marriage as well it just didn't work out but yeah I fell in love with, Scot- with Scotland instead and I was in Edinburgh for six years and that's when I started getting into wine because I was working in really nice establishments like five-star hotels fancy restaurants and so wine came on the map just by that and uh, then I my friend, like at the time, I had like no wine knowledge at all. I was always like, Sauvignon Blanc, is that a brand? Is that a grape? Like, no idea. And then my friend, the sommelier in the restaurant, she was like, This is not okay. You need to do a wine course. 
and I will just sign you up for one. So I did a WSET level two. And that's till now all the wine, formal wine education that I have. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then I got really into it. And then I started working in Reykjavik um, at Dill, which was like one of the restaurants I always like loved and wanted to go to and work for. And Did you leave after the marriage breakup thing to Reykjavik or? No, there was like two years in between. Hmm. I was just like saving money to go like on a trip. So it took like the two years to travel around, did a little internship then at Dill first. And then they offered me the job basically. And then I was like, bye fuckers, I'm going to go. Nice. Yeah, it was awesome. I've never been to Iceland. I've always meant to go. Yeah, you should. Hmm. And it has a really cool uh, wine scene. Very small, but a very like thriving natural wine scene. Mm. So I think in Reykjavik, people always look what Copenhagen does. And Copenhagen is obviously like natural wine-wise the, the mecca the of, place, yeah. of natural wine. So it actually has a really big impact on on uh, Reykjavik. And that's really, really cool. Mm. So. Mm. Yes. I can't believe how much cork's in here. God, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> in a rush i'm not at my home turf you have to drink the cork and then you can get some wine without I just want to say that there's cork in it the bottle is not corked no there's cork there's actual <laughs> pieces of wood inside the wine yeah which it because i just blew through it like that yeah yeah sorry very extremely unprofessional from from a former sommelier um hey ho you know <sighs> it's life I'm out of practice because I've been home with a child for... Thank goodness the wine is strong enough to handle it. (laughs) Yes. But so there's still quite a long um, way from serving wine at a restaurant to Mm -hmm. making wine. Yeah. So what happened there? How did you decide to start making wine? And how how does one decide like, oh, I'm just going to start making wine now? Oh, I never really decided I'm going to be a winemaker. Um, it was actually like quite sad because I was in Reykjavik and uh, I got sexually assaulted. And after that, I fell a little bit into a crisis of sort of where do I belong and what do I want to do and... And I really lost the ability to be like fake friendly. You know what you really need in a restaurant? Like when you have condescending people, you just smile and like <sighs> um, move on from the situation. I would just like be a bitch. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I'm suitable for service anymore. So, but I really loved wine. So I thought like, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what to do. But I thought like, I'm going to do an internship with a winemaker and learn something out of it and maybe I will have an epiphany in some forum and figure out what I want to do. And so I went to Ardèche, to Gilazoni. And um, yeah, that's I, I was really fascinated and really loved that. And then his son said to me, like, you know, Jasmine, like all my dad's interns have also become winemakers. So just so you know, it might great group pressure. And... That sort of put a bug into my head. And also they showed me actually that you can make wine from bought grapes. Mm. I always thought like a winery has to be like a big family estate and with like 10 hectares. And yeah, and and because like Gilles' son also buys grapes and organic grapes, of course. But like that was the first time I saw that and that it's possible. And then I... uh, 
did a little bit more internships, but eventually I went to Mosul, which is far enough from my hometown and close enough at the same time. Uh, I rented a corner in a cellar, bought some grapes, and gave it a good bash, pretty much. Oh, and I sold my flat to, like, finance the project. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is quite quite a thing to do, though. Yeah, definitely. I think at the time, like, I don't know if I would do it again, but at the time it was, like, the right amount of crazy meets the right amount of money and the right amount of ambition, sort of, as a mix. They all came together. Mm. So it was really cool. Were you ever afraid that it wouldn't work out? Or were you, you just like, oh, of course this is going to work out. I'm going to make him wine and that's going to be fine. I honestly, like, I have no idea anymore what I was thinking at the time. Because I've never, like, I've always been a really good employee. But creating something myself, I've always been pretty shit at. <laughs> and um, But somehow I was like, yeah, I'm going to make wine. And then mm. I was telling everyone I'm going to make wine so that I really had to make wine because, you know, I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> and um, then I always thought, like, my project would fail in the first or second year. And the first wines, they came out really strong. I think some of my favorite wines are still, like, first vintage wines. Second year, I was so nervous and I was like, I was wondering if everything was just luck or if it was really, um, you know, if I can actually make wine. And then the second year wines were also really good. And I was like, okay, this is weird. This seems to be working in some form. And now I think, like, for my business, like, the biggest threat was actually now, like, the with the political situation and all the prices being increased. Mm. I mean, Tom Lobo was talking about it as well yeah. uh, with the price difference of bottles. Things are suddenly double expensive nearly. That's actually like now the biggest threat and really annoys me because if I would have failed in the first or second year, okay, cool. That was sort of like calculated in some form. Mm. But to fail now that I've actually like established a brand and that like the wines are actually tasting really good as well, to now fail would really piss me off. Uh, so, um, but it's going and it's going good. Good. I'm glad. So the year when you sold your apartment and bashed some wines in the corner of a uh, grapes in the corner of a cellar, what year was that? 19. 19. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So you were, the start of your journey was also COVID. Yeah. How did that affect your work? Not much, really, mm. because I was actually quite organized about how I started up the business um, before, because, you know, I sold the flat, so suddenly I had some money in my account. And um, before I uh, started the wine, I was like, okay, I need to find contacts who I can sell the wine to. Mm. And I did that before I made the wine. And I think there's a lot of, like, problems sometimes with, like, younger winemakers. They just make the wines and then, like, oh, where can I sell it to? But I spent one and a half years going to every single wine fair and telling every, like, business person that I'm going to be a winemaker. And I think they all thought I was crazy at the time. But um, then early 20, when the wines were then ready, I could, I was able to really easily distribute those wines and then the stop came with COVID. I think like in Germany, it was March-ish when the 
the hard sort of lockdown started. Mm. And so I wasn't that dependent on uh, going to wine fairs because I've already made beforehand the work and then you don't, I just send some samples out. Uh, social media has been really helpful. Mm. But I was okay. Like I was really good set up. Like I somehow did that really well. You did. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, COVID was such a strange time for here as well. It's just so weird to think back on that time now. And <laughs> it's like pre-COVID and uh, post-COVID. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> definitely. My God, it's just you can't believe we lived like that. You know. Yeah, but actually looking back at it now, of course, like I wouldn't want it, I wouldn't want to have it ever again because obviously a lot of people passed uh, from it. But it was also a time where I didn't have to be anywhere. I could just go into the vineyards. I could um, I could just do meetings via Zoom and so mm -hmm. on. There was something nice about it. No, I agree. It was definitely, it's one of those hardships where in retrospect you look back and you're like, oh, this was actually quite good. Yeah, but I also think like the people in the village, uh, villagers had it much easier than city people. Yeah, we, Hans Petra and I, we shared a 34 square meter one, one room flat. Yeah, that's hard. Uh, in the middle of the city. So that was hard. But we went skiing a lot. We went for walks. I started writing, which in turn, two years later, three years later, would lead to my becoming a journalist at the um, newspaper where, where I'm at now. So everything happens for a reason. Ooh. Exactly. Like silver lining, something good comes out of things. Mm -hmm. Like no question. So you were making your wines in the beginning with Negociant grapes, that you were mm -hmm. buying grapes. Yeah. And where is your winemaking at today? And also, actually, take me to when you just relocated to Rheinhessen. Mm -hmm. so what uh, happened there? Um, I was based in Mosul for three years. Uh, I did my first vintage in Brauneberg, which is like in the middle Mosul. Uh, and then I moved to Kröf and to uh, Staffelter Hof, um, which is like a pretty known natural winery. And they do really amazing wines. Sadly, we didn't work that well together. Mm. So it was time to leave at some point. And um, it's really hard to find winery spaces, like especially to rent. And uh, and I found, uh, I was for for four months, my winery didn't have a home and I moved things into uh, a container. My friend, uh, Andy Mann, he gave me some space where I could store some stuff and where my orders could be shipped from. I tasted these wines recently. They're great. He's amazing. Oh my God. Like he's, he's one of the best winemakers in Germany for me right now and mm. so precise and such a kind person. And um, then his dad actually said, like, hey, there's a guy in the village. He has a lot of properties. Maybe he's got something for you. And then I spoke to that person. And that's how I found then the seller. And, um, yeah, and so this is sort of how I ended up in Rheinhessen then. And it's nice in Rheinhessen. I don't, like, the community is really good. There's a lot of, like, younger winemakers, you know, like uh, Andy, like, Bergkloster, mm. Niklas Rückrich. Um, Schmidt's couple. Yeah, exactly. It seems like a bit of a hub for younger natural winemakers. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of young guys, and I think people like the Brands or um, Mato. Mm. 
you know, people saw I how... I met him at the fair just uh, this summer. I love Marto and Alana. They're mm. such kind people. And I used to drink their wines uh, or Marto's wines. Because Alana and I, we started in the same vintage, I think. Um, but Marto, he's, for me, like one of the oldest winemakers. And then I realized he's like... Three years younger than I am. Yeah, he's just a kid, and he's, <laughs> he's so a sweet, fucking kid. <laughs> <laughs> and he's so funny as well. Mm. Uh, such a dry humor, but yeah, I think people saw that Mato was like having success with it. So other people followed a little bit into those footsteps. Mm. Uh, also with like Jonas and Daniel Brand, for example. And um, yeah, so Rheinhessen grew this little hub of people. And I don't find Rheinhessen as pretty as Mosul, but community-wise, I think it's a much better place for me. Mm. So the space you're in now, because you have always been sharing your winery up until now, is that correct? Do mm -hmm. you have your own space now? Yeah. How has that changed your winemaking? It is so good to be alone in a winery. I think in the last two years, I've, or for the last three years, I've always also carried the stress of the other winery a little bit mm -hmm. and I wasn't focused enough on my own wines and now I can like really focus on myself and um and that's my only worry is like to make my own good harvests mm -hmm. make my own good wines basically um because like despite buying a lot of grapes uh I do harvest them myself hand harvest of course And um, so my harvest is also like crazy busy and not just like loading off grapes and off you go kind of thing. Uh, it's not like that. And uh, to not have to worry about another place is so good for my headspace. Mm. Like, I think that's the biggest impact. How do you source your grapes? So I work actually with quite a few friends by now. Um, I work with um, Piri uh, in the Nahe Valley. Mm. Um, I work with Andy Mann. Uh, Andy actually lets me use two of his vineyards that I sort of do the handworks uh, in. And he does the spraying. So I always call them like my ad adopted vineyards. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's really nice for me. Uh, and that's like my Merlot that we're drinking right now mm. comes from uh, this vineyard. And also a Pinot Gris uh, parcel that's in the same slope. Mm. And um, then I have, uh, I work with Niklas Rückrich, who's quite a young and upcoming winemaker in the area. Um, and then Lukas Kraus in Pfalz. But it's sort of like, you know, how do I source them? It's just like I meet other winemakers. And by now, actually, people also come to me and it's like, hey, Jasmine, you know, I've got... Uh, a parcel of um, Silvana, if you want, you can you can use the grapes. And I'm mm -hmm. like, sure. <laughs> like it's uh, when I started, it was really hard, and I just took the grapes that I I could find, sort of. And that was in the winery where I was subrented. There was an organic winery, and they said like, yeah, sure, you can have these and these grapes. Mm. But there was like no choice about it. It wasn't like, oh, I don't want to work this year with Riesling, or I want to. It was just like, yeah, you can have Riesling, you can have Cabernet Blanc, you can have Regent and Pinot Blanc. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and this is how I started working with Regent. And I think it's like such a blessing I started working with Regent. Mm. There's so many like, uh, in quotes, uh, shit, grape, shit grape varieties out there. But there's 
no such thing really because like you can make a great wine from any great variety you just have to be a bit smart and clever about it and um i used to think that Rigen was the shittiest uh red wine you could uh, make but i'm a massive red wine drinker i love red wines mm. i want to sit in the winter on my sofa and drink red wine and um now i really love breaking for again but it's only because i started actually doing it myself um yeah and uh yeah that's pretty much how i source the grapes now mm. now i can also pick and choose a bit better so i'm like ah, i don't want riesling from here i want riesling from there um or you know what this year i don't fancy doing grüner weltliner but i'm gonna do this grape instead um and this is also not why not all my wines always come back i just uh see how i feel and what wine i want to make again mm. in that vintage and that doesn't mean a wine can't have a comeback later on mm. so and i like to keep things fresh yeah how do you um, decide what wines you want to make then? Where do you draw your inspiration? Is it just from your previous work or do you look to any specific winemakers or is it through travel or where do you get your inspiration? Mm, I get my inspiration from a lot of different places. Of course, like it starts with what do I want to drink? I'm like a pretty selfish person sometimes. Like I want, want to make stuff that tastes good to me mm. first and foremost. And then if other people enjoy it, bonus. And um, then I take my inspiration from music a lot. Music, I think, is a really important thing in my life. Um, I take it from different arts. And the great luxury that I have that I always, that I didn't, appreciate long enough is the fact that I can make whatever I want to do. I don't have like nagging parents who tell me, oh, we've always done the Riesling this and this way. I have the biggest freedom of all of, of winemaking. And so I use that. And there's so many sort of classic wines out there. Do we need like a 500 version of this? Mm -hmm. eh, probably not. Um, so I try something new or I try to do something new. I'm not reinventing the wheel, but um, yeah, it's just fun to try out and create and yeah, and like make wines that hopefully taste good for the people. Do you have like a idea of the finished wine you want to make before you start a process? Or do you more start with like, oh, I got this Pinot Gris, which I think could turn into X? Um, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Um, I've had, for example, one time like this Gewürztraminer you know, called Fenafos, and it turned out one-to-one -one how I first envisioned it. Mm. And, um, yeah, and it was exactly how I planned it to be. And then I take certain grape varieties and I try to think like, okay, what would suit it? What also do I need for the new vintage as a good setup? You know, I couldn't just make like... 10 different red wines that wouldn't work. So I need to have like a little bit of a variety in my in my portfolio or my lineup. Mm. And um, yeah, I just try to do something that would suit the grape variety that is sort of not too long in maceration. Again, that's like the whole cash flow thing. Um, and then I try to keep the grape varieties separate as much as I can so that I can then later on go and see how I can make each wine better by maybe blending it. Mm. 
Mm. I think German winemakers are very, oh, we have to keep everything separate. Um, and I think we have to make a good wine. And if I have to blend the shit out of it, I will do it. Of course. So, and blending is so much fun. Mm -hmm. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's like one thing I got from my mentor as well. He blends also so much. Mm. And no, I think it's great. Um, but yeah, so just sometimes it's a snowball sort of, I'm just going to roll around with it and see where I end up. And then sometimes it's like, I'm definitely going to do this and this is how it's going to, this is how I intended to turn out. Like mm. with the Merlot that worked really, really well. Mm. I wanted to make a proper red wine. It became a proper red wine. It did. Success. <laughs> Speaking of. You're almost out of wine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not. You can't go. Sorry, I got nervous there for a second because like, the glass was really empty. Thank you. Yes. Sorry, my skirt is really also not made for. It's okay. We're alone. Good. Thank you. So uh, I also wanted to talk to you about your drag artists. Yay! Yay! So, I love drag. Yes, clearly you do. So uh, for those of you who don't know Jess's wines from before, uh, some of her wines have drag artists on the label. Super colorful, amazing portraits of different drag queens. And also names that go with it, like Sassy and Queendom. So tell me a little bit about this. When did it start? How did it start? What's the story? Um, um, I love drag. I think that's the core of it. I find it very inspirational. Um, my former flatmate is a drag artist. Mm. And so that's one of the points where I got introduced to drag. I think for many people... Which of uh, the cities? Was that London, Scotland? That was Reykjavik, Reykjavik and Edinburgh because oh. we used to work together in Reykjavik. Hey, Michi. Mm. Um, and then he moved uh, over to Edinburgh and uh, moved in with me. So it, it, it's a two-city collaboration. Amazing. And I just found it really fascinating. And you know what? My mental health goes really bad I switch on an episode of like Drag Race and I can like disappear into this like little glittery world that really distracts me mm. and where I then gain positivity from again when I'm like feeling really dark. So I really like love what drag does for me and I love showing these amazing artists um, that bring so much joy into the world. Um Yeah, so and, and so it's like a really big honor for me to work with these artists now, and they're so talented. I I, I find it so exciting. Um, we've got like on Sassy, for example, Mystica Glamour. She's from uh, Edinburgh. She's one of the OG queens in Edinburgh, and she does a lot of like activism work there. And I just like, how can you not find that inspiring? You know. Mm. They're like such strong people. I think it's like super important that people realize they are real people on my uh, labels. Um, and yeah, like it does a lot for me. And I hope that with a little bit of extra exposure, that's good for them too, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it's, a, it's an amazing world. When you make a wine with a drag artist on the label, do you look? at the finished wine and think, oh, this is so perfect for this drag queen? Or is it more like you have a drag queen in mind when you're making the wine? What is the process like for you? 
Um, first, I... So sometimes I like, okay, I'm going to make... Uh, now I have a few drag ones, so I like look at the grape varieties that are, f uh, that are possible. Then I think about um, what I'm going to do with them. And um, oh, I'm losing my track. <laughs> Can you ask me again? <laughs> um, when you make a drag wine, do you... Uh, make it for a drag queen specifically, or do you start like where does the process start? Do you mm -hmm. do you feel like oh the wine turned out like this, then it's perfect for this person, or is it more like oh this person is so inspiring, I want to make a wine f for this person? It's it's like a chicken or an egg scenario, like which one? Comes Sometimes first? it's both. Mm. Um, I have. Like, I really wanted to have Mystica on a label. So I was like, I need a new wine for Mystica. Mm. What kind of wine am I going to make? And then I was, like, looking at the drag wines that I already have and try to, like, um, yeah, pick something that I think would fit into that lineup. Um, but then I also have a made wine. And then I look at it and I'm like, okay, who would be a good fit for it? Mm. And each drag queen that I work with sort of has uh, their own wines and maybe in quotes. Um, and uh, <laughs> for example, also I have a wine called Doris. Doris, is Doris in Norway? I'm not sure actually right now. But um, Doris is Donfeld and Riesling. And um, Doris was really like the strongest character of the harvest. The tank was sitting right next to our table where we always had our dinner. And, you know, sometimes I'd be like, ah, Doris shut herself again. Can someone please go and clean her up? <laughs> um, you know, she was like living and sitting next to our table. And so Doris became like this proper character. Mm. And then I was looking at one of uh, the drag queens that I work with, like Instagram. And there was this picture of like, Camomile as a old lady drag kind of and it was so perfect and then I was like hey could I please use this picture and um turns out the photographer who took the picture is really kind person and so much fun and he had the copyright to it so he was like yeah of course and uh I paid uh for the picture, of course, but we also donated some to like the organization that's behind Pride and Minds. And um, so that's sort of how Doris then was put together in a way. Um, and yeah, so now I try that Camomile does like the Doris wine. Then I've got like James the Creature, who's like Cuckoo. Mm -hmm. Miss Ronya is Kiki, kind of. And I also sponsor now the Bordeaux Drag Games. Oh, so really? Amazing. The, yeah. And so I have to go down there and be a judge. Nice. <laughs> just a little bit excited about. <laughs> and uh, But the winner will get their own wine. Oh, wow. So then I it's have like to make RuPaul's a new wine. It's like Drag Race, but like with the wine is the prize. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Bordeaux are a little bit disappointed that a German winery is sponsoring that thing. But <laughs> no pressure. Um <laughs> But no, it's really fun and they do really cool work in Bordeaux and it's just two of the drag queens that I work with are part of that organization team. Mm. And uh, it's really fun to watch and it produces like a lot of new talent for the French drag scene. And France is so strong right now with, in, in terms of drag. So it's really fascinating and now I'm getting more sucked in into the French drag world and I want to go to Paris and discover that much more, for example. And 
it's so nice to have this other outlet than just wine. I mm. love wine a lot, but I need other inspiration sources. And um, and that really is one strong one for me. Mm. Amazing. Except you do bring wine into it, though. So it's not work, but it becomes work sort of thing. <laughs> it becomes the best kind of work. Yeah. I think that's like, I'm so happy about this crossover. Mm. Like, And I think we work in such a... Um, stuffy blazer dominated world that a little bit of glitter does a lot I think for the people and like trying to make a bit more of a diverse um, world around me I think it's like I I never felt like I fit into the classic winemaker industry mm. but I don't want to fit in anymore I just need to create my own world and that's like one part of it It's like, yeah, if I want to have drag queens around me, I will ask drag queens to be around me, you know? And you just got to take some ownership sometimes. Yeah. Is this one of the reasons you were fascinated with natural wine to begin with, you think? Because it was less... Um, less you, You're allowed to be less stereotypical? Mm, I think it was more... I just happened to always work with natural wines. Mm. Because like going from not really drinking wine or if if any, I would buy a bottle of like shit Asti and drink that at, at home. Um, I went to work in Edinburgh with pretty much more or less just natural wine. So that was what I started to drink and what I started to love. That That's more sort of like what was available around me mm. kind of thing. Mm. I think also it's it is for me at least it's refreshing. I mean, I don't think I could have done this podcast or the kind of journalism that I like in writing or making content about wines that are not natural also because I feel that the natural wine scene is more open and ready for new interpretations of what wine can be. I think so. Um I feel like it is definitely like less stuffy than the classic wine world, but it also has its pretty like conservative views. Well, um, the whole wine world has conservative views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like extremely. And um, natural wine is definitely on a much better path than uh, the classic wine world, I would say, in terms of diversity and in terms of like um, being more accepted acceptive to different characters I guess mm. um, but it still has also its ways to go like I don't think we are a diverse enough um, group of people mm. I think we should definitely be much more diverse I mean we're like the whitest people alive really when it comes to <laughs> the wine industry it's so true I had um I did a Teams interview with Martha Stuman for my book. Ah, uh, cool. And oh my gosh, she's great. I was so starstruck. And so <laughs> she's lovely. Awesome. And we talked about this and how to increase diversity in the workplace because what do you do? I mean, generally people who are less diverse also has more work experience. So it becomes like a negative spiral where you keep hiring less diverse crowd of people because they have more work experience and then they get more work experience, so you keep hiring the same group and she was also talking about these amazing mentorships uh in cali for 
people that has less work experiences in the wine industry but they want to get in and get a foot through the door. Yeah. I think that is also a really good way to do it. Uh, like sponsored mentorship programs for like there's one for female aspiring female winemakers called Batonage because it's stirring up the conversation around females. <laughs> in wine. So cute. <laughs> I, know, I thought it was like cheesy, so but cheesy. also cute. <laughs> I love it. Um, I think that is a really interesting. I like a bit of cash forward. Yeah. <laughs> I think we just have to make um, wine education much more accessible. I think we're in a very privileged world. Natural wine isn't cheap, and neither it should be cheap. Uh, cheap because it's like also a much more sustainable and risk-taking uh, product mm. that we create. But the education has to be much more accessible so that non-privileged people or less privileged people actually can even consider learning about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a big problem. And also, yeah, how do you make a product that's fairly expensive more accessible then? I remember like when I did the WSET, they were always talking about these great wines. Um, but they were always like the most expensive wines as well. And I was like, I'm never going to be able to afford these wines. Mm -hmm. And I'm already like um, oh, middle-aged, middle-aged <laughs> white. No, you're not. Come on. It's okay. Sometimes you have to be realistic. <laughs> um, she's not middle-aged. Listener, she's hot. It's okay. Middle-aged people can also be hot. Okay, sure. <laughs> you're not middle-aged. You're like you're like almost middle-aged. When does middle-aged start? At 40? Okay, no, I'm not middle-aged. I'm young. <laughs> and still young. You're still a 30-something. 20-something. Oh, yeah. Sorry, 20. I, <laughs> did I say 30? It's a 20. They both start with T. My English is so bad. I'm sorry. Oh I my god! 20. And I always thought your English was so good, mm -hmm. and then you just have these. Then you have these freak moments. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I think yeah. Uh, where was I? Um, yeah, I'm a privileged person. I'm white. I don't have to be super scared of many things other than overtaking men. Um, so I think it's important to remember your privilege um, that you have. Um, and yeah, and we just have to make the world more accessible for people. Yeah. Yeah, we've definitely discussed this in the podcast before, how like, you know, we can talk about how natural wine is so much better and everyone should be drinking natural wine. But we also have to remember that choosing to drink natural wine as like the same as choosing to eat organic food and choosing to eat vegetables instead of a Big Mac is always going to be a class question. You know, we are very lucky that we can sit here and discuss natural wine because it's always going to be more expensive, as should it. But then some people just have a little bit of spare cash on their paycheck and just want to, after like working two jobs to get their kids through school and pay their rent, they just want to relax with a glass of wine and they can afford the cheapest one. And I'm not mm. going to tell them that what you're drinking is wrong mm. because, you know, this is the reality of life. I think this is also why wineries like Heinrich or Meinklang are so important, or Franz Weniger as well. Like, I think people often complain about these, uh, in quotes, too big wineries, that it's not natural wine enough. But they're actually exactly the wineries that we need. Um, we need more wineries like that who work organically, even biodynamically. 
um, just from an agricultural impact point of view, but also they're able to put out their wines that are more affordable and mm -hmm. they're a good like gateway to natural wine. Um, are they sometimes the most natural wines? No, probably not, but they're still they're better still than really good wines. And yeah. I love drinking, like I, I was like one time near Lofoten and the wine shop there was open three days a week for two hours a day. <laughs> and, and I thought I was never going to find like a natural wine there. And I found a bottle of Meinklang and I was so happy. And, um, Yeah, and I think these wineries have their position and I love drinking their wines, all of them, whether it's Heinrich or Weniger. Uh, or Weniger's wines, I really love some of his wines, like the Rosa Petzwitz wine. It's Sorry, Franz is, Franz is amazing. And I Franz is also like one of the first winemakers that I've met where I didn't feel like I was being patronized the whole time. Mm. Like we were having a conversation with each other, not him talking down to me, even though at the time I hadn't even made any wines yet. Mm. And I thought that was like... And it's sad to say that I felt that was very special because that should be pretty normal. Um, but yeah, no, I've always like had the biggest respect for Franz. Mm. And the better than aspect is so important too because I think the natural wine community is tearing itself apart to some degree, which discussing like who is most natural. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm well, I'm more natural than you. Well, I'm more natural. And then I it's like, heard that exactly. <laughs> But then it's like. We are, um, we, you, whereas I'm just like a side person, like cheering you on. But the, the natural slash quote unquote natural wine community is still so small and should be just banding together a bit more because the the big, big, big agro wine community is so much bigger and fighting amongst ourselves and the natural wine community is just not a good thing. Yeah, and I think it's like super important that um, I think actually the most important thing is that more wineries go organic. That's I think because that affects us all. Mm -hmm. That has an active impact on agriculture and uh, the organic spraying materials aren't ideal, but they've what we've got. Um, but like what people actually do in their cellar, like whether they add 10 milligrams of sulfur or I don't know, they filter there or whatever. I don't care. Like, it doesn't always mean that it's my cup of tea, but there's always a wine for someone out there um, that will make someone happy. And I just think it's super important to be transparent about it. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Then at 10, then at 50, who cares? Yeah. Like, uh, that's a stylistic uh, issue. But wineries going organic is something that should concern us all. And that means we have to also buy organic wine. Mm -hmm. And speaking of, just to finish on the high note, because we do have to wrap up because you are going to uh, your tasting. But uh, again, with Martha, she told me that um, two of the biggest growers in Cali now are going biodynamic because awesome. because they heard that, you know, there's money to to earn and they, it's all Nagos wines or grapes anyway. And they know that uh, if they do uh, biodynamic, it's just it's good for them. It's good for nature. It's good for everybody. Yeah, and this is like, you know, yeah, let them be for capitalistic reasons, but It's it so is good. a good step. Yeah. Definitely. So before we finish up and I send you off to your tasting, um, what is the future for Katla wines? Like what's next for you? What's next for me? Harvest is next. Mm. I have hired a wonderful team of people who are coming along in two weeks the first person arrives. Um, yeah, we're going to do 
a successful harvest and take it from there. I think that's like uh, my immediate future. Intense immediate future. Yeah, but it's awesome. I look so forward to harvest. Nice. And I love the people that I've I've hired. I think they're all going to smash it so hard. It'll be so much fun. Cool. Yeah. Well, enjoy harvest. Thank you. And I'm just going to say at the end of the pod, because this is going to be the September episode, which means that my book about natural wine called natural wine or Naturvin in Norwegian will be out in the bookstores at the end of September and the release party or the launch party will be the 9th of October at Beko and we will have DJs and we will have music and we will have books of course and I'll be there and we'll all have wine and look at the book and hold the book and touch the book and be so glad that I'm not writing another book in a while because it was intense and uh, yeah, you know, if you're listening, if you're not doing anything on Monday, the 9th of October, come to Beko and drink some wine with me and buy the book if you want to buy the book or not. Just dance and drink some wine. Can people pre-order it? Because yeah. I really want to pre-order it It's going to be in Norwegian, but you can read it all with like hey, the yeah, Google snakker, goggles. Yeah, it's not a little Norsk. You snakker kjempebra Norsk. So fling. Tusen takk. Well, then all I can say is Tack för att du kom. And uh, we have to say skål with these shitty takeaway glasses so it's not going to sound so nice. But skål! Skål! <laughs> <laughs>